0: chapter 2 the full reward the faithful student of the word of god will find it clearly proven that one may be saved yet miss in this life very much of the peace and joy of god after living such a life he may be ushered into eternity just barely saved as paul puts it so as through fire 1 corinthians chapter 3 verse 15 or as job describes it escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Job chapter 19 verse 20. This certainly cannot be a very happy outlook, and God throws out danger signals all along the way so that we may turn aside from such unholy living and be kept back from such an inglorious entrance into heaven. The same student of the Bible will learn that it is possible to enter into God's presence with fullness of joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 to be welcomed with the shouts of angels and to be saluted by the well-done good and faithful servant by the master himself Matthew chapter 25 verse 23 such an entrance into glory is certainly to be desired and such a joyous experience may be given to every consistent follower of Christ after the return of Christ for his church there is to be a great day of awards when those who have been faithful will receive recognition at the hands of the Lord Himself in the presence of the assembled hosts in the skies. We can tell just what this reward is to be, yet this needs a word of explanation. We cannot give the exact description of the crowns we will wear, nor can we estimate in human language their value in the opinion of men, but after studying the New Testament, we know that it is to be according to our faith and in proportion to our faithfulness. It is in this way that every child of God may confidently say, I know what my award is to be. He measured it Himself. It is very true that one may stand before God and receive from Him only a measure of reward, and it is likewise true that he might have a greater blessing from the hands of his Master. John speaks about a full reward, second John chapter 1 verse 8, as if there might be a reward that is not complete. This is only too true. However, the opposite is also true, that one may have at that great day at the hands of God himself a full reward. The purpose of this book is to convince us to lay hold of the promises of God, so that our lives may be so shaped according to his will. When that day comes, we will stand before him with rejoicing and not with sorrow. A crown is always a symbol of reward. Expressions containing the word are many times used in the New Testament. It is sometimes a crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, a crown that is imperishable, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 25, a crown of exaltation or rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19, a crown of righteousness, second Timothy chapter 4 verse 8, and a crown of glory, first Peter chapter 5 verse 4. These names are not given simply for the sake of emphasis, as varying the name might emphasize certain things, but because each crown means a certain kind of reward. Five crowns. As far as I have been able to tell, There are only five crowns in the New Testament Scriptures. Every Christian may have one, but, oh the joy of it, every Christian may have five. The message is still sweeter. For if we would receive the five crowns from the hands of our glorified Lord, there would still be something in reserve. We will speak of this later. The Crown of Life Naturally, the crown that should come first in order would be the one mentioned in James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This crown is also mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. It was to be given to the church of Smyrna, which suffered the most. I used to read the text as, be faithful until death, and I supposed it meant simply that we needed to be faithful during life and that when death came, our responsibility was at an end. However, the word is unto, and it means not simply that one should be faithful and willing to suffer for the Master, but to suffer and to die. This leads me to say that the crown of life is undoubtedly the one to be given to the martyr not simply the one who has died at the stake, or the woman who has been thrown to the wild beasts that they might devour her, but the one who has suffered in body and mind, unknown to fame, but suffered nevertheless, and suffered for the glory of God. It is likewise the crown that is to be given to the one who is able to do only little things for Christ. So many people seem to think that they can do only little for Christ, and therefore they leave that little undone this is a most serious error jesus said to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine even the least of them you did it to me matthew chapter 25 verse 40 a cup of cold water given in his name matthew chapter 10 verse 42 a word of cheer spoken for his glory or a warm handshake so that he may be exalted in the opinion of men. These little things win the eternal reward. So many people are asking, What can I do to further the cause of Christ, to assist my minister, or to help the church? If I were to suggest one thing that would be most helpful, it would be to offer unceasing prayer for the spread of Christ's kingdom. And for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the man who preaches Christ at the sacred pulpit. I remember very well when I first became pastor of the church where I now minister. After I had preached my first sermon, and the people had presented themselves to say words of encouragement, an old man came walking down the aisle, leaning upon his staff because of his age, and said to me, I am afraid you will make it a failure. I did not consider that to be much of a word of encouragement and I very much wished he could have given it to me at another time. Then, looking around the church, he added, We have always had a man of large experience, and the church is large. Then he came nearer and said, But I have made up my mind to help you. I wondered in my own mind what he could do. He then said, I have determined to pray for you every day that you are pastor of this church and I have covenanted with two other men to pray for you. At this my heart was filled with joy, and I thanked God and took courage, feeling confident from the beginning that He had given me the victory. The three men soon grew to ten, and the ten to fifty, and the fifty to two hundred, until now anywhere from three hundred and fifty to five hundred consecrated men bow their heads in prayer with me every Sunday morning at 9.45, praying God's blessing upon me as I preach and upon the people as they listen. The most wonderful place in all the world to preach is in a church where the atmosphere is permeated with the petitions of faithful Christians for God's blessing upon His ministers. These are they who, upon the great day of awards, will receive the crown of life they do little things well to the glory of God. The Imperishable Crown The second crown, in order, is the imperishable or incorruptible crown. Scripture. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. But I discipline my body, and make it my slave so that after i have preached to others i myself will not be disqualified 1 corinthians chapter 9 verse 25 and verse 27 in this figure of speech paul is on the race track he is striving to reach the goal and win the prize therefore this is not a question of life but is entirely a question of awards he is not writing to the unregenerate But to the children of God. He says, I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The word disqualified in the Greek is literally disapproved. Paul is teaching that, even if he is to win the crown that is imperishable, he must deny himself, he must put forth heroic effort, and he must be faithful until the very end. This Spirit is needed in the church. If the first crown is for the passive Christian, the second is for the enthusiastic follower of Christ, and next to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the church today needs the baptism of enthusiasm. It is a great mistake for people to allow their prejudices to lead them against the methods of church work upon which God has set His seal. There is a cry today against new methods, and people say the need of the time is for the old methods of our fathers. There is some truth in this, but the trouble with the advocates of this proposition is that they do not make their methods old enough. We need to go back to Pentecostal methods of giving, for in those days the disciples gave all they had. We need to go back to Pentecostal methods of preaching, for the early preachers had only two themes in mind, Jesus and the resurrection. We need to go back to Pentecostal living. For in the olden times the disciples lived in the expectation that each new day would bring back the Lord Himself, and having this hope in Him, their lives became pure and their testimonies powerful. Every church should change its method every Sunday if the methods in use do not compel the people to accept the gospel. We have no responsibility for conversion, for the Spirit of God takes care of that. But we do have a tremendous responsibility resting upon us to make every man, woman, and child understand that the Son of God died to set them free from the penalty of sin, and that He ever pleads at God's right hand to liberate them from its power. The church is not an end, but rather a means to an end. If it is considered an end, the membership becomes satisfied with the church in itself, with its preaching, its music, its social standing, and its ability to influence the minds of the people. In all seriousness, I dare to say that such a church will be a curse to a community in the thought of God rather than a blessing. We have this to remember. When considered as a means to an end, the church loses sight of itself and realizes that it is in existence only to bring the message of the gospel to every lost sinner. As long as there is one unsaved soul in the world, God calls His children to carry the message of peace and glad tidings of great joy to that one. There is a scriptural warrant for this frequent change of method. It is all summed up in one word, until. How long did the Father wait for His Son? until he returned. How long did the woman search for the lost piece of silver? Until she found it. How long did the shepherd look for his sheep? Until he had it in his arms and was carrying it back with rejoicing to the fold. How often should we change our methods in the church? Until we have a method upon which God will set His seal and to which the Holy Spirit will give His approval, because that method compels the people to hear the gospel, and to know that jesus christ died to save all mankind paul was willing to be considered a fool if only he might better influence people to the wise he would be wise to the ignorant he was willing to be considered ignorant and to the weak he was willing to be considered a man of weakness if only by all means he might save some 1 corinthians chapter 9 verse 22 may the lord god fill the church with this spirit We could shake the cities and move the world with the power of God, and when the great day of awards comes, simply because we had been earnestly sincere, had counted personal ease as nothing, and had labored incessantly by day and by night, in heat and in cold, we should receive the crown that is incorruptible. The Crown of Rejoicing The Third Crown, is the crown of rejoicing or exaltation scripture for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation is it not even you in the presence of our lord jesus at his coming 1st thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19 when paul remembers the thessalonians whom he had won for christ he immediately replies you are our crown of rejoicing Therefore, this third form of the reward is properly called the soul-winner's crown. Sadly, some who are born of the Spirit, who have been trained in the Christian church, or could have been, and who have lived all their lives dead in sin, will never wear this crown, but it is possible for everybody to receive it from the hands of the Master Himself. This is the crown that Charles Spurgeon is to wear. It is said that thirteen thousand people joined His church under His ministry, and this was only the beginning of the multitude of others who have been influenced by His life all around the world. It is the crown that Mr. Moody is to wear, because in all parts of the world He has pointed people to the Crucified One. It is the crown that faithful Sunday school teachers and devoted Christian workers are to wear. I had in my home at one time a very celebrated Sunday school worker. He told me how he became a servant of Christ. He was converted as a boy before the Young People's Society of Christian Endeavor was known. He wanted to do something for Christ, and all he could think of was to teach a Sunday school class. He went to the superintendent with a request that he might be made a teacher, and was refused. He went a second time with a similar result. He went a third time and offered to bring in a class from outside, and this time he secured the consent of the superintendent. When he went out to find boys, his first visit was to a great brownstone mansion. He rang the bell, and the servant opened the door. He asked if he could speak to the lady of the house. He was shown into the parlor, and soon the mother of the boy entered. He said, I have come to ask if your boy can come to Sunday school, Her face flushed and her eyes flashed as she replied, My child has been to Sunday school before, and he has had such miserable teaching that I have made up my mind that he will not go again until either I can teach him myself or get someone who can. After a little waiting, she asked, Suppose I should send him. Who would teach him? He became greatly embarrassed at this question, and he thought that if he ever got out of the house he would never again think of doing any work in the church. Finally, he replied, Well, if he comes, I will teach him myself. There was something in his direct statement, the ring of his voice that touched the mother, and she said, Next Sunday he will be there. He came. He was the only boy in the class but when the young teacher told him the story of Jesus Christ, he was converted. As he told us the story, there were tears in his eyes. He said, Let me tell you the rest. Just before I left New York, I was called to the room of a man who was dying. As I entered, he called me to his bedside and said, Come as close as you can. I took his head and rested it on my arms, and we talked. He said, Teacher, Has this not been a wonderful work?" His voice was almost gone, but he still whispered. Finally, his wife jumped up and cried, He is dying! I held him closer and kissed him, for I loved him as though he had been my own child. I will never forget how he looked as he added, That was the boy I led to Christ. He was my associate in Sunday school work. We led hundreds of souls to Christ. Then with great emphasis and in tears he said, I would rather have had the satisfaction of leading that one boy to Christ than to have conquered the whole world. Such a work as this is possible to all people everywhere, and he who is thus faithful has a crown of rejoicing waiting for him. The hymn, Must I Go and Empty-Handed, was written by Charles Carroll Luther, who had heard a minister tell of a young man about thirty years old who was dying and did not have one single soul to his credit. When the shadow of death fell across his face, someone near his bedside expressed concern for his happiness or his fear of death. He quickly answered, I am not afraid to die. Jesus saves me now. But must I go? And empty-handed? Sadly many of us may stand in the presence of the master and be crownless in this respect the crown of glory the fourth crown is the crown of glory scripture and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory 1 peter chapter 5 verse 4 peter seems to have a special message here for officers of the church Sunday school teachers, and church members in general, for in fact all of us are shepherds. A shepherd is one who looks after the sheep, and the sheep that requires most of his attention is the one most likely to wander and fall by the wayside. We have a way of looking at the people, especially those who are newborn babes in Christ, and saying, We will see how they hold out. If they stumble, we frequently exclaim, it is just as I expected." That is a most unChrist-like way to talk, and one that most deserves the censure of God. The fact is that we are called into the church to be laborers together with God, and He has placed before us the privilege of helping to support the weak ones in Christ. There is not a time when one needs a warm handshake or a word of sympathy as much as when one is beginning his Christian life just taking his first steps toward God. When my little girl first began to walk, she started to fall after she had taken one step, and I had to put my arms around her and hold her up. She walked in this way for days, but now we never think of holding her up. She can run along for the entire day and not be weary. To all those who are faithful in this special ministry, God has promised a sure reward. The crown of righteousness The fifth crown, and the last, seems to me the very best. It is the crown of righteousness. Scripture In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy chapter four verse eight. I have never yet been able to figure out just when the Lord will come again, for the Bible contains no such record. But with all my heart I am looking for Him. I do not know that He might not come today. He may come tomorrow. I am perfectly sure that the greatest blessing that could ever come to this world would be the visible presence of the Lord Himself. He would lift up the downtrodden. He Himself would relieve the oppressed. And he would apply the whip to the oppressor. It may be at morn, when the day is awaking, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world his own. O joy, O delight, should we go without dying, no sickness, no sadness, no dread, and no crying, caught up through the clouds with our Lord into glory, when Jesus receives his own. This is how I am looking for him, and I am longing for him, and with all my soul I love his appearing, and unto every such person waiting there is a crown promised. So I am watching and waiting each moment of the day, if it be morn or evening when he calleth me away. And it makes the day grow brighter and its trials easier borne, when I am saying every moment, Today the Lord may come. But there is something better still, and that is the full reward described in Revelation chapter 4. This is a picture of the glorified church. We are told that the 24 elders came in with crowns upon their heads, clothed with white raiment, seated around the throne. Suddenly, the King of Kings appears. At once, the four and twenty elders fall down before him. Take off their crowns and cast them before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Revelation chapter 4, verse eleven. The best reward of all then is to be with him. That was a glad day in England in 1855, when the soldiers came back from the Crimean War, and the queen gave them medals, called Crimean medals. Galleries were constructed for the two houses of parliament and the royal family to witness the presentation. Her Majesty herself came in to give the soldiers their rewards. Here comes a colonel who lost both his feet at Inkerman. He is wheeled in on a chair. Here is a man whose arms are gone, and so they came, maimed and lame. Then the queen, in the name of the English people, gave the medals, and the thousands of people with streaming eyes saying, God save the queen. However, I can think of something that would have made the scene more wonderful. If these men had taken off the medals that the queen had placed upon them, and cast them back at her feet, saying, No, your majesty, we cannot keep them. We give back the medals. To see you is the greatest reward. That is what we will do in heaven. I have a friend who was in the Crimean War. He told me that he had received that day a medal with inkerman upon it, for that was his battle, but he said the most touching part of it all was the experience of a friend of his who had fought by his side. A cannonball took off one of his legs, but the brave fellow sprang up immediately. He took hold of a tree, drew his sword, and was ready to fight even to death. Immediately, Another cannonball came crashing past and took off his other leg. They carried him wounded, bleeding, and, as they supposed, dying to the hospital. Strangely enough, he came back to life again. When the day came to award the medals, they carried him upon his stretcher before Her Majesty the Queen. She had simply given the medals by the hands of her secretary to the other soldiers, but when she saw this man, Carried in on a stretcher with his face so thin and pale, she rose from her seat, bent down by his side, and pinned the medal upon his chest with her own hands while tears fell like rain upon the face of the brave soldier. This is how, I trust, it will be with many of us. We will come into his presence and stand face to face with him. He will rise from his throne and come forward to receive us. As we look up into His face, thrones will vanish away, and crowns will be as nothing, for to see Him in all His beauty will be the full reward."